I am so glad that we're having this discussion and that we are focusing our attention here because this is one of those topics that really impacts all of us. Grief will visit each one of us, and whether it's a loved one or a friend or a co-worker, and grief always doesn't necessarily mean or is exclusive to the death of someone. You can have an emotional response regarding any loss, and certainly as people lose their jobs and even go in and out of relationships, they experience grief. I'm grateful to be here because there's really just a lot of bad information regarding the process of grief. This was even recognized in the New Testament as Paul writes to the church in 1 Thessalonians, he says this. I'm in chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. By asleep, he means who have died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. How interesting. He says, this uninformed, the literal word here is, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant about grief. Notice he doesn't say we're not going to grieve. That's not what he says. He says our grief, however, will be different from those who do not have hope. Grief is a natural, human, predictable, and unavoidable response to loss. In fact, I'd say it to you this way. Grief is the evidence of how significant the relationship is. If you've suffered the loss of a loved one, there should be grief. We see that in John with respect to Jesus himself. You'll remember he had told his disciples, I need to go back and I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He has died for this very reason so that the Son of Man may be glorified that they will believe. Now, he's already told them he's going to raise him from the dead, yet when he goes back and he sees Mary and Martha, they're crying. My Bible says Jesus wept. And that word there, wept, it's not just a tear coming. It's not, you know, one of those Denzel Washington tears that just kind of comes down, trickling. No, he's wailing. Why? Now, some theologians would say, well, it's because Lazarus' death reflects what sin does in our lives and how sin has entered into the world and he is wailing because of sin. I guess from a theological standpoint, that makes sense. But what we know, when you lose a loved one, it hurts. And he sees their heart breaking. Wouldn't it be easy for Jesus to say, Mary, Martha, Stop all that crying. Watch this. But he doesn't. He's weeping because it does hurt. Grief is the evidence of how significant the relationship is. And so the first thing I want to share with you in terms of this bad information that's out here is that first and foremost, when you're grieving, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay 
not to be okay. In fact, turn to the person next to you, look at them, say, it's okay not to be okay. I didn't say ask for any coffee. I said ask them. <laughs> now, it's a simple tool, but what you're doing is providing the license, the emotional license to feel. Mad, glad, sad, angry, afraid. These are core feelings. Mad, glad, sad, angry, afraid. When people are grieving, oftentimes they want to suppress their feelings because it hurts so much they want to be numb to it. One of the things that we talk about in Grief Share is checking in, what do you feel? There are no bad feelings. There are no wrong feelings. Now, how we respond to feelings, that's an entirely different story. You're driving, someone cuts you off in traffic, takes that parking space, you feel like you want to blow their car up. But you don't. You go into one of the communities because you know that they have good coffee and donuts, and you go there, not only are all the donuts gone, but the coffee is gone. You feel like you want to slap somebody, but you don't. Feelings are just that. There aren't any bad feelings. And oftentimes when people are grieving, they want to suppress their feelings because they hurt. Well, here's the problem. If you anesthetize your feelings, if you become numb, okay, you might not feel the hurt, but guess what? If you're numb, you can't experience love, acceptance, encouragement, support. Numb is numb. And if you are suppressing feelings, you suppress good feelings as well. Our culture, families, and even ourselves, we impose upon ourselves expectations that are not only are they not biblical, they're unrealistic. I was at a funeral not long ago. A 14-year-old boy had lost his dad. The uncle had come in for the funeral, and the little boy is crying. And so the uncle goes to his nephew, and he says, Okay, look, time for you to man up. That's about enough for that. He's 14 years old. Where does it say that men aren't supposed to cry? That that makes you less than a man if you're hurt and experiencing grief. He's 14 and he has every reason to mourn the loss of his dad. Now, when people are grieving, folks want to help, they don't, but they just don't know what to say. Oftentimes, they will tell people, well, listen, girl, that's been long enough. You've, you've been crying long enough. Listen, we're getting together. You need to come out with us. We're going to go and get something to eat. Come on. You've been grieving long enough. Who says? In fact, beloved, the experts tell us 18 to 24 months before people start to heal when they've had a significant loss. 18 to 24 months before they start to heal. 
people want to look at grief like it's graduating from elementary school, like a stage. Grief doesn't work that way. It's not like you go through a period where you're sad, and then you're angry, and then you're in denial, and then you're confused, and then you're better. It simply doesn't work that way. You can experience all of those simultaneously. In fact, people have told me it feels like I'm trying to push a thought through jello. I can't think. The things that used to be so easy for me to do are just very confusing for me. I had a lady call me. She was hysterical. I said, what is wrong? She said, I can't find my car keys. I'm at my doctor's office. I don't know where my keys are. I said, well, retrace your steps. Look in the exam room. We did that. Look in the bathroom. We did that. I said, well, where's your car? She said, I parked. I said, just retrace your steps. She's on the phone. She goes crying. She says, oh, pastor, I feel so stupid. I said, what's wrong? Not only are her keys in the car, the car is running. She just got out, left the car running, went to her doctor's appointment. She said, what's wrong with me? I feel like I'm losing my mind. Nothing. There's nothing wrong with you. You're grieving. Grief affects every part of us, emotionally, psychologically, physically. That's why we tell people when they're grieving, there's an acronym that we use called DEER. D-E-E-R. D stands for drink. Drink what, you might say? Water. <laughs> Make sure we get that straight. Water, you did hear me say that, right? <laughs> Pastor said, we got to go out here and get some drinks. I did not say that. I said, you need to stay hydrated. Now, this is important because if you've been crying, it's easy to get dehydrated. In fact, most Americans walk around dehydrated, to be honest with you. We really don't drink as um, much water as we should. But when you're grieving, in particular, people need to drink. Drink water. That's the D. E, eat. Isn't uncommon when people are grieving that they simply don't have an appetite. Not good. Need to eat. E, exercise. Very important. And then R, rest. Hard to do when you're grieving. You can lay in bed all day and not get any rest. In fact, has that ever happened to you? Have you gone to bed early and wake up the next day and you wake up tired? Terrible feeling, isn't it? You're like, I'm, t I'm waking up tired here. Getting proper rest is important to heal in the grief process. People will want to hurry that. Want you to get through it quickly. Here's the problem. The hardest part when people are grieving, it's not the funeral. Oftentimes that's a blur. They'll understand that they were there, but they won't remember conversations or people that they were with. Oftentimes that's really just a blur. Everyone starts this process with a checklist, particularly if it's the loss of a spouse. 
Sometimes adult children have to step in and deal with the funeral arrangements, the cemetery, the headstone. We've buried them. Now we have to go back in 30 or 60 days to set the headstone. Now we have to call Social Security. Now we have to deal with the annuity and the insurance or the life insurance. And they think, as soon as I get these things checked off, my life will be bigger or better. You know, I'm going to call Salvation Army. They're going to come and pick up the clothes. We're going to get this emptied out. We've got the car sold. And they think, finally, finally, we got the last thing done. I can be better. Well, that's when it gets hard. After the cards stop and the phone calls cease, there's nothing else on the checklist. All that time, grief has been over in the corner doing push-ups, waiting. You done? You finished? I need your attention now. We describe it as people get tsunamied. They're hit with a wave of emotions. It knocks them off their square and they think, what is wrong with me? I thought I was past this. I thought I was doing better. There's nothing wrong with you. You are grieving. You can have a tsunami. It could be a song or a fragrance. Or maybe it's an aroma. You walk into a kitchen and you smell bread, bacon, and it reminds you of that person. Or you're walking down the street and out of the corner of your eye, somebody goes by that's about the same height or has the coat. And for that fraction of a millisecond, your brain says, that's so-and-so. And then the reality comes and you get tsunamied. No way really to avoid that. We pray with people. We explain it to them. We help them to understand it's a part of grief, but you can't really avoid it. Grief is like fog. Sometimes the fog is so thick you can't see your hand in front of your face. And other times it's like a low-lying mist. And it comes and it goes. That that we counsel and that that God's word confirms is simply this. This is hard theology. Before any of us were born, God knew and understand what issues were going to come into our lives. We always get surprised by a loss, no matter how long. We're not ready. But God knew. Not only did he know it, he allowed it. So if God knew it and he allowed it, then that means he also has a plan and we can rest in that. Now that's hard theology, particularly in a place like Chicago where on any given day people are minding their own business and the comfort of their own home and there is this intrusion of violence and someone's life is taken. What did they do wrong? Five-year-old child is sitting on her porch listening to her grandmother and a stray bullet takes her life. What did she do wrong? 
hard theology. God allowed it. He permitted it. We rest in that. Grief challenges everything. It'll make you physically weak. It will make you doubt your faith. And there will be those that come alongside you that say, you know, I don't, I don't understand. They all have that same voice. I don't understand why you're so upset. They're in a better place. You should just be happy that they're in a better place. Where is your faith? It's not an issue of faith. But I'll say this to you. It's okay for you to lament to God. It's all right to tell him that you're hurting, that you're frustrated, that you're angry. He knows anyway, but it's perfectly all right for you to share your heart with the God of the universe. Now, here's the promise. We're all just passing through here. If you're blessed, I don't know, what do you get? 80, 85 Christmases, springs, summers. We're all just passing through. But God promised he'd never leave us or forsake us. God promised that neither height nor depth nor principalities nor powers nor death itself would ever separate us from his love. And for those who have put their hope and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are never alone. Yes, grief hurts. And yes, it challenges us on every front. It affects everybody differently. But it affects everybody. That's why you can't look to someone else as a model of what you should do or how you should feel. Sometimes people want to make abrupt changes. I know that my time is up, but that's really not a good idea. A change of latitude doesn't really affect attitude. Grief will be there waiting for you. We can talk more about it. You're blessed this evening with some truly godly people. And I hope that you appreciate not only the courage, but the faith that it takes to be this transparent, to talk about what is literally the most intimate thing that happens in someone's life, a loss of a loved one, and to be able to share that openly. So you're blessed tonight. Father, I've said what you'd have me to say. And now we ask that you would use this time, that you would comfort those who need comfort, that you would provide information for those who need information, that you would encourage those hearts that need encouragement. But more than that, Father, that you would call those to the hope that they can have and have had and will have when their life is surrendered to you. We thank you that we can talk about grief because it is a part of our lives. We are not meant to be in these tents forever. And it mandates that we consider where we will spend eternity. 
So we thank you, Father, for this time. And I do pray in the matchless, magnificent name of Jesus and amen.